live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night, 8, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Paul, are you okay? Oh, uh, yeah. I, oh, I need to get you a doctor. Dr. Fauci, maybe? Oh, you know what? That'd be great. Can you get Dr. Fauci here? I would like to show him some of my ailments. Okay. Uh, very like good. My raging temper. <laughs> uh, Rick Delgado's here. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm good. And uh, Rick Emmer, oh, fine. That was a little short. Yeah, and, well, uh, you know, oh, I've been rushing. Rick Emmerati's going to have. I just got it. Rick Emmerati's going to have sports tonight. How are you? Doing great, Big D. How are you? Uh, well, I'm good, I guess. Um, you know, the country's falling apart still, but uh, there's something going on. At least I think. Well, we'll discuss it in a couple different pieces tonight. And we'll see if we can put the picture together. And we've started to talk about this a little bit. Uh, by the way, uh, live from Studio 6B, live tonight on, obviously, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus, Channel 1029, uh, streaming tonight on our Live from Studio 6B YouTube, because we're having issues with, uh, still having issues over at the website with who we've integrated that with, and I'm starting to think it's on purpose, so we'll, we're going to, we're going to, we're streaming live on YouTube tonight, we'll, uh, we're going to actually stay with the audience tonight, so if you're double screening Watching us on Real America's Voice, which I always encourage you to do. You want to watch us during the breaks. We're going to stay live, and we're going to um, we're going to stay with the audience on YouTube. So uh, there's something going on, and I'll start with this simple piece here uh, from Gallup, and that is that Biden's approval rating has now hit a low of 43 percent, while the vice president's, I guess not. Not surprisingly, is at 49% higher than his because we, well, we never see her. Some people don't even remember she's a part of the administration. She's certainly not doing anything at the border. Uh, but this, so this is from Gallup today, eight months after President Joe Biden's inauguration, his job approval rating has now fallen six percentage points again to now 43%, the lowest of his presidency. For the first time, a majority now at 53% now disapprove of Biden's performance. These findings are from September 1st through the 17th Gallup poll that was conducted after the U.S. military evacuated more than 120,000 people from Afghanistan. The United States exit from the nation's longest war was marred by the Taliban's quick takeover of most of the country and suicide bombing at the airport in Kabul, which killed 13 U.S. service members. Over the same period, COVID-19 infection rates nationally were surging, leading to hospitals overflows in some regions. The latest drop in Biden's job approval score is the second significant decline since June. Biden's honeymoon ratings near 55% first faltered in July, falling to 50% among rising COVID-19 cases caused largely by the Delta variant. In Gallup's August 2nd through 17th poll, Biden's rating was essentially unchanged at 49%. Midway through the most recent polls field period, as COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and death continued to rise, Biden announced new directives to limit the spread of the disease, including vaccine requirements for private sector businesses, healthcare workers, and federal government contractors. Except for Donald Trump, every U.S. president since Harry Truman has enjoyed a honeymoon period characterized by an above-average approval rating upon taking office. Biden's recent slides and approval put him in the company of Trump and Bill Clinton, whose ratings were at or below Biden's current 43% at some point in their first eight months of their presidencies. However, by September 1993, Clinton's approval ratings began to recover and averaged at about 50% that month. 
Independents show the greatest decline, and this is the part that may be the most important. Independents show greatest decline in approval of Biden. Democrats' approval of the job Biden is doing has remained high and not varied by more than eight points since he took office. Their highest rating of Biden was (laughs) 98% in late January, early February. Their lowest is currently at 90%. So 90% of the ever-growing anti-American Democratic Party think that this version of America is right on target. 90% of the Democratic Party thinks this is, uh, this is what the country should look like. Kind of sounds like Putin. Republicans' ratings of Biden are similarly stable at the other extreme, ranging from 12% in February and July to 6% this month. I'd like to know who makes up the 6%, by the way. Mitt, let's see, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Liz Cheney, uh, Adam Kinzinger, that's five. Well, it's got to be more, because that's not going to make up 6%, which is a scary, uh, scary thought. Independents have shown the greatest variation in their opinions, though, of how Biden is doing. Biden's current 37% approval rating among independents is the lowest to date, and 24 points below his highest uh, personal high of 61%. Two-thirds of Biden's slide among independents since he took office has occurred in the past three months. Then it goes on to talk about Kamala Harris's approval and blah, blah, blah. But the independent thing is the thing that caught my eye and just the overall job approval, which um, given everything that's going on is not, not a surprise. And I think those numbers will just continue to falter because as we've talked about most of this week so far, there's nothing this administration has touched that hasn't turned to absolute garbage. Nothing. His speech at the UN was an embarrassment, a fumbling, bumbling, mumbling, just um, recipe of disaster, diarrhea of disaster. Uh, obviously, Afghanistan, disaster, the border. The border has become such an invasion now, if you look at the numbers, and you listen to the Mayorkas today talking about the percentages of people who are SIV and the percentages of people who are not, there's no way to not characterize it at this point as an invasion. We are allowing in small cities every month into this country. That's a fact. When you look at the numbers, which we'll go through, we have some clips of that, I think, today. We have some crazy towns and other things to do, but... So this is just one part of today. I'm going through things, prepping for the show, and I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about this. But we've talked about the parents and the CRT and the groundswell of, of support. Now we're seeing some lawsuits over the vaccine mandates. We're seeing now the job approval. We're, a couple articles in Politico about Democrats and uh, fearing the agenda, which I'll get to tonight. And you take it all in totality, you, the, the, the border disaster. I don't know. There's something starting to go on. And we have to hope that it all ends up with what we talked about earlier this week, is that this guy ends up doing so much damage to the party, to the brand, that it's it's almost unrecognizable now. Uh, And it continues on this where Republicans find a way. If they want to get in the game, some of them are. A lot of them are not still, in my estimation. Uh, Take back everything, including the presidency in 2024, and see... Uh, what we can do to fix this. What do you guys think about the job approval numbers? Rick? Eh, well, you know what? Um, I think they're still skewed a bit high. 
I think it's actually probably lower than that. But, you know, that's the way they run their polls. They, they, they weight them very high on the Democrat side and light on the Republican and Independent side. So they get a favorable number. But even with the weighted polls, it's still really looking pretty bad. So you figure in the way I used to figure it in, especially with the uh, the previous election, was it's usually 10 to 12 percent. They're hiding you from you. So if you take out another 10 percent, he's probably at around 32. That sounds about right to me. The this uh, let me get I'll get to the bottom line here in a second. Paul, any thoughts? Mm, I think it's all BS. Meaning what? I just don't. I, I don't know how anybody can approve of, of the of the job numbers. I mean, it's it's a joke. I mean, everywhere you turn, people, you know, don't want to work and people want their free stuff and employees can't get people to work. I don't know. I just, I don't believe anything anymore. I'm like so disgusted with it all. I've been, I just think it's all, I don't know. Every poll I see just seems like, oh, this is as close to as much BS as we can give them. And uh, without it sounding completely ridiculous. So I'll tell you who I did listen to today to that, to that end about jobs and stuff is Chairman Powell at the Fed. And um, listening to him, it's almost like he, um, he's looking at a different um, country than the one that I'm looking at that we live in. <laughs> when I listen to him talk about the job market, uh, them starting to maybe taper their bond purchases of $120 billion a month that they've been doing, obviously. The, the, the printer, uh, this, the money printing in this country that is never-ending. At least from what I can tell, the Democrats right now looking at a five or six trillion dollar reconciliation budget they're trying to push through. And I listened to Fed Powell talk today, and it's like, uh, it's like none of, nothing's a big deal. Twenty nine trillion in fiscal operating debt. He wants to ra- raise in the debt ceiling. He says as, as, as an absolute must. We got to do it. We're going to taper bond purchases. Inflation's no big deal. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, is he talking about the, it's got to be talking about the U.S., right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> He's the Federal Reserve Chairman for this country. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I, obviously, I'm not, um, I'm not on it, I guess, like he is. But I, I just don't. He paints a picture of like uh, something that I'm, I'm just not seeing. Well, that's because he's hoping to, you know, he gets that out there and, and he figures, you know, most of us are stupid. We're not going to know. So he can paint that picture and the media will go along with it. Nobody will challenge him on it because it's the administration. Well, we got to support the administration. They're cheerleading it all the way. They don't care. They don't care if it's true or not. Don't believe what you see. Numbers, uh, you can't look at numbers. Why? Numbers don't lie. Yeah, but, but don't look at numbers. Listen to me. I'll tell you the truth. Okay. The, um, I, saw, I saw this tweet today from uh, Preston Push. She says, the Fed signaled it could reverse course on tapering. Meanwhile, look at the blue line on the chart below. This would be like a person stuffing their face with donuts and saying, well, I could go on a diet. <laughs> the blue line, of course, is the money printing of the Fed's balance sheet and what it looks like. And, and he draws the same conclusion. And I, said, and I retweeted it and said, exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he's describing. When he when he when he paints this picture he painted today, we we've all we all get gas, we all go to the grocery store, we all see the supply chain issues, we all see inflation, we all see the spending, nonstop spending, we see the continued push for more of it, huge bills, more spending. Um, we're we're probably not that far away from um, you know uh, some kind of guaranteed income plan here that's being thrown around still. You've got. 8 million 
uh, job openings and 11 million people out of work. That doesn't, that doesn't make, you know, those no numbers sense. don't jive. And he paints this picture of, well, inflation's fine. And if it gets, if it gets higher than we want it, we'll, we'll take steps to do it. And, and I'm expecting a good jobs report. And then once we get that, we'll start to taper our bond purchases and just everything's rosy. Everything's rosy. And of course the stock market and assets today are going up and down and up and every word he talks, it's, up and down and up and down. They can't figure out what he's going to do, what the tapering is going to look like. But this picture he paints of just um, that there's real no issues and ra just raise the debt ceiling. We need that because, you know, he, he, he paints this picture like uh, it's not a problem. Yeah, the, world's gonna, the world is going to end. The, the country is going to collapse if we don't raise the debt ceiling. No, it won't. Shut up. They, they've shut down the government before. All the essentials get paid. Everything continues running. A few people go home. Big whoop. <laughs> and then they get paid later. So you're still going to spend the money on their salary. So what the heck? So the bottom line from this Gallup poll is Biden's latest approval rating further cements the fact that the honeymoon is over. Political independents who were part of his coalition to help defeat Trump are now largely in disapproval of his job that he's doing as president. So... That's part one. I'll get to parts two and three when we get back. Live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in. You're on YouTube. Stay with us. We're going to hang with you. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on Real America's Voice. Glad you're in on a Wednesday night. Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus Channel 1029. I can't tell you how many comments I get on the Samsung TV Plus and how great that feed is and how it looks just fantastic. And uh, streaming on our YouTube page tonight, youtube.com, I believe it's spelled out, slash live from Studio 6B. It's time to do some sports and hear what that is. Rick Amorati, what's going on, pal? Big D, Major League Baseball, one final in. Rays over the Blue Jays, 7-1 to one earlier today. Bottom five, Nationals lead the Marlins, 4-1. to one. Also bottom four there, Orioles and Phillies, 0-0. Zero, zero. Top four, Rangers lead the Yankees, 1-0. Top third, Red Sox all over the Mets, 6-1. to one. Bottom of the second, Twins and Cubs tied at two and bottom of the second Cardinals blanking the Brewers six zip Dodgers at the Rockies Astros Angels Mariners Athletics Braves Diamondbacks and Giants at Padres all later full slate tonight in Major League Baseball NFL will not change taunting, rule, uh, taunting rules uh, despite backlash. This was originally posted by Larry Brown Sports, Steve Del Vecchio. The NFL's increased emphasis on penalizing taunting has been a huge source of frustration for both players and fans this season, but the league has no plans to change its approach. Mark Mask of the Washington Post reported earlier today that the NFL feels the enforcement of taunting penalties has gone as planned, quote-unquote. Uh, through the first two weeks of the regular season, the competition committee is not expected to intervene and the NFL expects players to adjust accordingly. There were eight taunting calls in week two. The overwhelming majority felt they were unnecessary. The NFL Players Association agreed and issued a statement on the matter. NFLPA Twitter, uh, tweeted out earlier today, for those who aren't a fan of the new taunting rules,
rule. We aren't either. Rules like this are adopted through competition committee, which includes 11 members, 10 selected by the commissioner, and one token vote from the NFLPA. So, uh, <laughs> they have awful. No- They're ruining ruined yes. the game. It's ruining the game if it continues like it was last weekend. Totally. I mean, we're playing football here. We're not. It's, it's not the basket weaving. I mean, yeah, give me a break. I just bust. You, you went head to head with me in the corner of the end zone. I bust up the play. What am I supposed to do? Give you my mother's recipe for goulash? <laughs> I'm going to tell you how much you suck, and exactly. I'm yeah. What's Horrible. wrong with these? What is, exactly. I mean, can they have? A, can they get a little jacked up after making a play here? It's ridiculous. Yeah, people yeah. have no idea the amount of adrenaline pumping through your veins when you're when you're on a football field. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's like 801 Pump every night up. on this show, Paul. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of juice. And uh, talk about busted plays. I don't know if you got any. You got a chance to see this from yesterday, but Conor McGregor shows off his pitching form at Wrigley Field. Brianna Williams of. ESPN. Ceremonial first pitches have a history of going shockingly well or surprisingly bad. Just add good old quack quack Fauci. But this one was even worse. Please tell Uh, me. I thought Fauci was maybe sitting over there. (laughs) No, this was even worse though, Big D. No, but I'm saying I know. I thought maybe Fauci was sitting. Oh, you thought, you thought, you thought <laughs> McGregor was trying to he hit He was him? trying to take him out. Yeah, well, he almost yeah. took out a fan. MMA stars Conor McGregor's first pitch during yesterday's Chicago Cubs against the Minnesota Twins at Wrigley Field was no exception to that rule. The notorious MMA's uh, time on the mound could have gone better, to put it mildly. McGregor stepped on the pitching rubber and appeared to be ready to deliver a solid <laughs> Do we pitch. have this? Please no, tell me we have we it. We do not have this. Uh. All I right. couldn't send it. It's Chicago Cubs, so I couldn't get you know, the Cubs on. I can't license. Anyway, uh, he, in fact, when he threw the pitch, you know, he's a lefty. <laughs> this thing went so far right, it almost hit a fan in the stands. Terrible. So, Conor McGregor, I don't know, I hope he throws a better left next time he gets in the ring, which we reported that he may be back before the end of the year. That leg is healing up, and we know he's the number one drawer in the MMA. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D, back to you. He definitely is the number one draw. I don't know about him <laughs> being back in the ring this year. We'll see. Yeah. Um, or being back on the mound, you know, if, if, if a real like if a real pitcher threw that pitch to where it went, he would have been ejected. That's how it was like high and like all the way to the back. Well, it was the awesome. guy in the batter's box would have been dead if he threw that. It was pitch like Nuke Lelouch from uh, wow. Dorham. His excuse, yeah. his excuse is he's coming off a broken leg and he couldn't yeah. plant well. Right. He didn't yeah. plant well, all right. I just heard Bob Euchre in my head the whole time I was watching it. So Ricky Vaughn. If you just want him out and throw the first pitch, you're exactly. gonna tell you that spending a month practicing that. I'm working on my curveball, my two seamer. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna make a fool of myself. Out. What's wrong with these forkball, baby? <laughs> All right, we'll do more sports coming up. Uh, we've got a couple crazy towns coming up now. G tells me we got two crazy towns. He tells me the Biden one is what's well, Biden, so you know what you're mostly you're gonna get. It's good. He says the Saki one is out of control. And um, I guess she's because probably she was out of control because she gets real questions, at least from Peter Ducey. And instead of trying to answer them, she wants to have conversations like, well, tell me a little bit more about how you're feeling, Peter, things like that. (laughs) So I'm sure that's part of it. We'll get to that. Um, And then we'll get to the other parts of why I think there's just something brewing here. Even with the press, to maybe a little... I know I said this on the first couple of days that Saki was in there and then she could tell she was such a disaster that the press was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. This is not Obama. We don't have the same love. I mean, we're still like, you know, but not as much. I think it's even gotten worse maybe since then. So we'll discuss that part as well. But... Uh, all right, let's do a little news, Paul. Is there any news uh, you want to discuss? There's a quickie over here at the Gateway Pundit. Uh, I just think this is funny, and I love it. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, reportedly shared with Prime Minister Boris Johnson that her father was in the U.S. Capitol 
When Winston Churchill made a speech at the beginning of World War II, Pelosi neglected to tell Johnson that her father was investigated for mob connections. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited the Capitol and spoke with the most sinister speaker in U.S. history, Nancy Pelosi. Um, when Johnson arrived at the meeting, Pelosi showed him a photo from Winston Churchill's 1941 speech to Congress. Pelosi's father, Thomas D'Alessandro, was a member of Congress at the time, representing Maryland, and he was present at the speech. Um, Churchill made his remarks on December 26, 1941, a few weeks after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, the prime minister was in Washington, D.C. to meet Franklin Roosevelt and used his speech to argue the best way forward to forge an effective alliance that could win World War II and preserve peace afterwards. But Pelosi neglected to tell Johnson that her father was a mobster. So I think that's a great story. I just love it. Is that something so- that you think would normally come up in discussions? I, I just think it's great that, you know, Nancy Pelosi's, Father was a mobster. Yeah. I just well, think it's great. I, like I just too, yeah. think I love it. I don't. She, think she, by the way, she governs like she's a mobster. By the if way, if you the way read she his re- history, Thomas Delsandro, he was mobbed up. He was a full blown gangster, and there's, there's no way around it. I think it's great that Gateway points that out. Uh, she so, runs uh, the. Um, she runs the house like a gangster. Oh the yeah. Way, the way she. Um, the way she, you know, these uh, these bills that come up, there's no there's no discussion about them. We try to ram them through in the middle of the night. She doesn't want people to show up to even vote on them. That's why our friend Thomas Massey, of course, says, "What what, what are we doing here?" You know, this is the way she runs it. Like an, uh, she's like a President Xi of China. That's how she runs the house. I mean, she she should have as much to do why this party should never be in power again for about a hundred years as as Biden. Her role in what happened on. Um, with January 6th, her role with uh, what happened with Milley and Trump and all of the discussions, supposedly this back-channeling with China, how she was involved. What did she know? When did she know it? On multiple fronts, we should find out. Oh, God, she's just awful. She is just awful. And she just continues to just get off without any questioning of her and some of these things that she's been involved with. I mean, if there's a God in heaven, she'll. this is the last time we'll ever see her as speaker. Uh, if we can find a way to take over the House. But again, that means the Republicans actually got to, you know, Mitch has got to live up to this debt ceiling fight. And we'll see. They got to get in the game here. Because they yeah. got all the ammo they need. I mean, Biden's handing it to him on a silver platter with the disaster that this country is right now, so... Anything else in news, Paul? Uh, real quick, uh, Florida makes quarantine optional for COVID-19 exposed students. The Florida Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Joseph uh, Ladapo, uh, issued a new measure allowing parents to decide whether their children have been exposed to COVID-19 should quarantine rather than giving schools the authority to do so. Guidelines signed on Wednesday by, by Ladapo remove prior statewide rules requiring parents to quarantine for at least four days off campus if they were potentially exposed to COVID-19. So good stuff there. More, I think I saw, yeah, I think I saw something today also in Florida about COVID that a judge had ruled in favor of the city of Gainesville. I have to look this up. I saw it in passing that they, 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 the vaccine mandate couldn't have been put in place. Uh, I think a judge ruled on something that was filed today. I'll, we'll look it up, and I'll tell you what it is when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. More to do. Crazy Town coming up.
live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night, 30 minutes past the hour. Glad you're in. Lots to do. A couple crazy towns coming up. So part two of my um, something's going on, because you don't see stories like this, specifically in Politico. Here's the headline in Politico today. Dems fear Biden's domestic agenda could now implode. That is not a headline that you normally would see in Politico. Unless they one of those political playbook deals and they have Ben Shapiro or somebody as a guest writer, then of course the next day they'll pull it all down. But this is, this is by uh, Burgess Everett and Heather Cagle. And they say internal Democratic discord has wounded President Joe Biden's massive social spending plan raising the prospect that the package could stall out, shrink dramatically, or even fail altogether. A myriad of problems have now arisen. Moderate Senate Democrats Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema continue to be a major headache for the party leadership in their $3.5 trillion target. It's, it's probably double that. It's probably 5 or $6 trillion altogether. The Senate uh, parliamentarian just nixed the party's year-long push to enact broad immigration reform. House members may tank the prescription drug overhaul the party has run on for years. And now a fight continues to brew over Senator Bernie Sanders' push to expand Medicare. Quote, if any of the members of Congress are not concerned that this could absolutely fall apart, they need treatment, said Representative Emanuel Cleaver from Missouri, who warned... Democrats, quote, will pay for this at the polls if it fails in enacting President Biden's agenda. Our caucus has the feeling of freedom to support or oppose leadership. I mean, that sounds like a threat. Hmm. Those headwinds threaten to sap the momentum from this summer when Biden clinched a bipartisan infrastructure deal in the Senate and found support from all corners of his party for a budget setting up his sweeping spending bill. Now, Joe Manchin is calling for a pause. Moderates are resisting key components of the legislation and a new fiscal fight over the debt limit is heating up. Those dynamics have Democrats essentially looking for an internal reset From a months-long debate over Biden's agenda that keeps publicly playing out through leaks, lines in the sand, and fights over the top-line number. So before I continue here, this this caught my attention. Number one, because it's in Politico. Number two, because it's somewhat brutally honest about where this administration is, at least with their domestic agenda. And... I just get the feeling between the approval ratings, articles like this more and more popping up. I'm seeing articles about natural immunity all of a sudden way more than I ever have from the media. I'm seeing articles about, obviously, Biden's tanking numbers. You're seeing, um, I pointed out Gail King to you the other day, not that it's a huge deal, confronting Jen Psaki about not a good look for, for, for America. Uh, you're seeing her challenge day in and day out from, from mostly from Ducey, but some, from some other people. And plus all the other things we've talked about. I wonder if, I just start to wonder if the love affair is starting to wane a little bit. And some of these 
media places are trying to get out in front of what's going to be eventually a total collapse of this administration into the um, ash heap of history and being responsible for the party losing not only the House, the Senate, the presidency, and maybe for, well, a replay of the Tea Party, maybe even, that many seats. So, so are you saying that, uh, in your estimation, the, the rats are starting to abandon ship, so um, to speak? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's what I'm saying, because that's maybe even still a little too strong for this party. I think they... Uh, are you suggesting they're just trying to put a little distance between themselves and the abject failure that is the Biden yeah, amendment? I wonder, I, maybe that's a better way to put it. I just wonder if they're, if they're starting to hedge their bets a little. To say, mm-hmm. how much more of the plank here can we walk with this guy? There's not much more left. Right. This is a literally everything they touch is, goes to SA, turns to SH. What, what do we do? What? What are we doing? Yeah. What can how, we do? How, how do we save How face? do we save? Yeah, exactly. How do we save it? Because you know what? When you said you're going to read from Politico, I went to Politico just to look. And yeah, Biden cools. So that's not a good article. Dems seek to avoid shutdown. That's not a good article. Biden slips into political le- quicksand. That's not a good article. Um, there's some more over here, too. Shutdown, default odds. Uh, da, 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 another Biden. <laughs> Battle of the massive child care, care bill takes a new turn with virus. That doesn't sound positive. Biden administration to right workplace safety rule. Biden pulls punches. He's pulling punches. I mean, Maisie Hirono is now is actually quoted in this article, and she says, I wish we could all be more on the same page in terms of timing of the need to push the American family's plan. I'm hopeful we are going to have a meeting of the minds and not wait until next year. We may have to have a plan B, end of the quote. And so I don't want to make too much of this, but I just, you know, you start to just look at what's going on. It's just not, normally would not see articles like this, at least I don't, I mean, and I pay somewhat attention to what's going on. I don't just try to read, you know, write or, I I mean, I try to read everything. I've got every political news thing bookmarked that I could find every single day. And this is just not an article that I would normally see in Politico. Yeah. And then you, you add to that the disaster that was Afghanistan that they're still trying to turn the page on. And what was the article? What was it last week where they said the, uh, the Biden, uh, uh, what do you call it? The communications teams, they shut off everything so they don't have to listen to them. Like, why would that article come out? Yeah. Uh, With a three-vote margin in the House and a 50-50 split in the Senate, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer can't afford to alienate either wing of their fractious party, or else the chances for either of Biden's signature domestic victories could all evaporate together. None of us know where this is going to go, said Representative Dean Phillips, Democrat from Minnesota. This is where leadership is made or broken, plain and simple. And that's true of the president as well. That's true of the speakers. That's true of the majority leaders. Manchin has been the most outspoken Democrat publicly asking for a pause on this big spending bill. By the way, if you pause it, I would say you probably kill it, which is what we want to see here. If it's paused, it probably ends up never seeing the light of day again. Uh, But the West Virginian declined to lay out his thinking Monday night when asked just how long he wants his party to put the brakes on, which is good. 
Let's see if you understand English. Not a word. It's unclear exactly how many Democrats are siding with prominent House and Senate moderates. It's unclear how many, they say. One centrist Democrat up for re-election next year, Senator Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, declined to say whether she's comfortable with the $3.5 trillion spending number on Monday or whether she agrees with pausing the legislation as well. Old little Dick Durbin said, we're at a critical moment. The total amount to be spent has to be negotiated with those who are questioning the $3.5 trillion. So this is the key week, he says. Now, of course, I say all this with the obviously caveat that Manchin and Cinema could roll over like cheap suits that you would, lend, you would tend to believe they are. And, um, you know, it could all be back on track. But... Um, so that, that's part two, because I saw this today in Politico, and I was um, quite taken aback. Here, here's part three, and this, is, this will be a little shorter. This is in red state, but let's just play this clip first. Cut 33, G. Um, roll that. Cut that. Forget that. That, that doesn't... That clip doesn't, that doesn't um, really set the actually what happens because it starts too late into the clip. So this, Boris Johnson is there speaking and he is literally in still mid-sentence about taking, he's taking questions from the European press, which by the way are way tougher than anything we have here, even Ducey. Well, maybe not Ducey, but they're very tough on him. They ask real questions. They don't take any nonsense like these like what we have here. Um, so he's, he's taking questions, and then he says to Biden, like, well, maybe we could take a couple questions from the press. And as he's in mid-sentence, his handlers, Biden's handlers, start screaming over him as he's talking. He was not done. He was like in mid-sentence when they just out of nowhere start going, okay, everybody got it. Because they did obviously didn't want him to take questions, so they could see it coming. <laughs> so literally, as Boris Johnson is speaking mid sentence, they start screaming, "Get out of here!" I mean, he's not even close to done with whatever he would the question Man. he was answering. So here's what happened after that. Cut thirty four G. Roll that. We're coming back on to just provide a bit more context. What we heard there was officials taking the questions of three British reporters. We heard Boris Johnson there um, call on some reporters towards the end. Our Ed O'Keefe, who is uh, there in the Oval Office, was there acting as pool, reports that in that moment at the very end that we just heard there, he attempted to ask a question of President Biden about the southern border. He says in his tweet, White House aides shouted down U.S. attempts to ask questions. He asked the president about the southern border. You could not decipher what it was that the president said. But obviously, that is a situation that continues to unfold, as we've been reporting on. And we should also note that the press pool, the U.S. press pool, um, immediately launched a formal objection to that. It is not protocol, necessarily, to have that kind of uneven distribution. Typically, you have the U.S. side and then the foreign uh, press representatives getting an equal amount of questions there, but the American journalists in the room getting shut out, essentially, not being able to ask a question there. Now, leading up to this, Joe Biden, as I told you yesterday, hadn't taken questions from anyone in about six days. 
He has gotten off of uh, Marine One a bunch of times at the White House and just walked right into the uh, right in without taking any questions whatsoever. He got screamed at at the UN, and that's where he said he admitted that the border is not under control. As he said, we'll get it under control. Then he embarrassed us and embarrassed himself in the UN speech, which was just a disaster. And then this with Boris Johnson in the Oval Office as they start screaming before Boris Johnson's even done. So this from Red State. We reported last night on the bedlam that erupted while Joe Biden was meeting with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Johnson took three questions from the press as Johnson was finishing his remarks. The Biden staff literally cut him off mid-sentence as they began shouting at the press corps to get out of the room in what was quite the amazing display. Now, it could have just been because Joe looked like he was about to nod off, but they've also just been cutting off the press and rushing them out of the room so he can't answer any questions as a regular thing to protect him from obviously gaffing. Amazingly, CBS's Ed O'Keefe, who you just saw the girl in that piece from CBS, did try to get a question about the border, and because of the shouting, he couldn't hear what was said, but he said he listened to it later, and he claimed Biden only said violence is not justified. I'll finish this story, and I'll let you know what the press pool did in response to this when we get back. Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus Channel 1029, streaming tonight on our YouTube channel, live from Studio 6B. Check out all our social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Parlor. We are on Getter. A lot of people ask Getter, but you're not looking. LFS6B, Getter. Just do a search for our profile. LFS6B comes right up. We've been there, and uh, we've been, um, yeah, we've been there since like, like the second day. It was really live. And verified as well. So you know it's us with the little red check mark. Uh, let's do some sports and hear what that's Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? All right, D, we got a treat tonight. Little rodeo in the middle of the week, just underway. Amarillo Tri State Fair and Rodeo, Amarillo National Center in Amarillo, Texas. The great state of Texas. You know, we love Texas. And uh, oh, here we go. Barrel racing. Yeah, this is Delgado. You hear this? I love Texas. All my exes. Uh, are you in love Texas. a lot of things lately. I noticed this trend going on. A lot of love, buddy. Yeah. Barrel racing leaders, Stephanie Fryer. 16.47 seconds. Uh, average um, on the uh, uh, roping is Slade Wood, 35.1 seconds on the three head. Picked up $1,800. And breakaway roping leaders. The, boor, the bull had three heads? Yeah, it was a three-head. No, three, the three-head means three scores combined in oh, one. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what it is. 35.1 seconds, so a little over 10, like 10 and a half. Uh, and then breakaway roping leaders were uh, Brandy Gilbert and Tiata Gray, both tied at 2.20 seconds. Um, <laughs> you're going to love this one. Remember we talked about that football coach who was buying beer this weekend for in Portland? Portland State football coach Bruce Barnum picks up a $14,000 tab after offering <laughs> to pay for fans' beer at the home game. Whoa! Holy cow. 
Whoa. What, what are they paying whoa. coaches these days? Fourteen dimes? Fourteen big ones on the credit card. I had a picture of the card and all. A little more than 3,000 fans attended that game, and a bunch of them took him up on his offer. What was that, Pauline like 10 the beers? Of Fox News. <laughs> yeah, good point, Gene. Price, what was that, about 10 beers at the price? If you bought those at MetLife Stadium, it would have oh been about 140000 Probably. You would have got the extra maggots in it, too. Yeah. Uh, Portland oh. State Vikings football coach Bruce Barnum wanted to do something to get fans to the stand. Now he's stuck with a $14,000 bar tab. Barnum, who's entering his sixth season as head coach, appeared on Oregon Live last week to talk about Saturday's game against Western Oregon. He uh, offered to buy beers for anyone attending the game as a way to bolster up support for his team. Barnum shared a picture of a receipt from Barney's Beer Garden, totaling $14,448 worth of beers, 786 Deschutes fresh-squeezed IPAs, and 1,260 Coors Lights, to be exact. <laughs> uh, the Vikings defeated the Wolves 21-7. to That worked uh, to pick up their first win of the season. They are scheduled to play Montana State at home on Saturday, but there's a good chance Barnum's not putting his card down this time. So, uh, Wouldn't it matter if they won or lost. Everybody was drunk. They wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. What a great, great gimmick. Yeah. And uh, one more big D. Islanders won't allow any unvaccinated players this season. The GM says NHL is, is not mandating that players get vaccinated, but is allowing teams to suspend unvaccinated players without pay when they are unavailable. Paulina Dodge, Fox News, New York Islanders general manager Lou Lamorello, who we love. I love Lou, but said he won't allow any unvaccinated players on his team, adding that a minor leaguer who refused to get vaccinated is being assigned to another league. Lamorello spoke to reporters ahead of the start of training camp yesterday. He said while the decision to get vaccinated is entirely voluntarily, players on his team will need to get the vaccine. Everyone in our organization, that is staff, coaches, and players, are vaccinated, including minor league players. Um, and uh, basically, they're going to try to you know, find a new place for this, this gentleman, maybe the European League or whatever. They didn't tell you who the prospect was. Hopefully, it wasn't a big one, Paul. Uh, but in any event, Islanders are... Uh Playing hardball. All these teams in New York are uh, very, very pro-vaccine, which is uh, kind of a shame that they're forcing these guys into making that kind of decision. Yeah. We, all, we all know how we feel about that. And that's a wrap in sports, guys. And still no, um, no consideration being given to people who uh, recovered. Yeah. Zero. <sighs> Ridiculous. Absolutely zero. And there's an article today. I know we'll do news <laughs> here in a second, Paul, but I did not I did oh, notice right. this article by uh, Dr. Uh, well, I have a couple things on COVID from doctors, but uh, Marty, I, I mentioned his last name. Marty McCary is the doctor. He's a professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health, editor-in-chief of MedPage today and author of The Price We Pay, uh, What Broke Americans' Healthcare and How to Fix It. And he has an article today. Actually, it's not today. It's a couple days ago in the Washington Post entitled Natural Immunity to covid is powerful. Policymakers seem afraid to say so. People making decisions about their health deserve honesty from their leaders. And it goes through some of the enormous studies that are being done. One, upwards of 700,000 people in Israel and what these studies say. So if we have time, I'll go through this as well. But let's do some news here with Mr. Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? So, um, you know, America's uh, second favorite sweetheart, uh, AOC, has... Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming one would be Pelosi? <laughs> yeah, Pelosi. She's America's, uh, she's America's favorite sweetheart. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you know, she's expressed all kinds of support for the funding of the police. Was ushered out of a news event <clears throat> with the Capitol Police Protection. 
She had private police protection. So AOC joined Democrats at a news conference on Tuesday to call for passage of a bill granting the Biden administration the authority to implement an eviction moratorium. AOC, a climate action advocate, had sponsored the Green New Deal, left with Capitol Police protection in a large Chevy suburban SUV, gas guzzling its way out of the news conference. So it's uh, I think it's adorable that's. That she's got a uh, one set of rules for herself and has uh, no idea the irony, yeah, and all the stupidity that she spews out of a mug. Well, that um, that goes in line with a lot of things we've done. We've played this week. My fa- one of my favorites being the Crazy Town the other day with the San Francisco mayor. Oh, because she was feeling the feeling spirit, the spirit, baby, <laughs> feeling the spirit. So oh, yeah. By the way, Rick Delgado. Before I forget, I had someone text me. What? And said that your um, what even is that last night was one of the funniest things they've ever heard. Really? Yes. Especially your line of well, all the pain goes away. Well, when you're dead, <laughs> that was kind of a softball. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, what was so. it about? I missed. I hate what I no, missed. No, you missed it. So we can't tell you. It's very highly secretive. You'll have. I to wonder watch how it. I'll sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like a you like know, a baby. You know, Paul. All right, what else is going on there? There, oh, there she is. Feel the spirit, the spirit, baby. Come on. Oh, oh, oh God. man. Raphael Sadiq. And That's, there you go. <laughs> and you know what? Wait till she finds out that the Fujis are getting back together. Oh, I heard that today. Woohoo! Big she concert. She is going to be out. She's going to be running down the street without a mask. It's on. amazing to hear a public official say, "Well, no, it was. I don't. Maybe you're not aware of these musicians <laughs> and how good they are. What they're royalty. Um, what their music makes you feel. Yeah. You disregard all the rules, baby. Oh, so it makes you so happy. So the rules don't apply. Yes. My bad. Come on, Paul. Right. Well, that's why I don't want the rules applying to me. You." Jackass. Well, so Paul, wherever sit. you go from now on, if you, if there's any kind of anything, just say, "Listen, I am feeling feeling Feel the spirit." spirit. <laughs> I like that, and just let it go at that. I so, like that, and just start I, dancing. I want yeah. to do that with "Grow Up." Anytime someone argues with me about the virus, I'm like, oh, "Just grow up." It's just that they get stopped in their tracks. Like, what does that mean? Ah, you just, you're a child. Come on, grow up. All right, so, anything else on the news? Yeah, Whistleblower Group is calling for further investigation into whether information about the Department of Veterans Affairs plans to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, last year to prevent uh, veterans from using GI benefits for some uh, profit schools uh, was either mishandled or intentionally leaked to enable insider trading. The agency announced its intentions on March uh, 2020 press release, but the uptick in investor activity ahead of the public announcement is raising concerns for the Watchdog Group, Empower Oversight, and others. Based on the stock price volume and data on short selling, betting that a stock price will fall, it appears that some of the market may have traded on the inside information in weeks leading up to the VA's official public announcement, says the uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan Empower Oversight. The group says a major concern is the release appears to have leaked in advance to the select groups before the general public and based on its own whistleblower contracts as well as those with Congress and the executive branch authorities, in addition to public reports and documents. So these guys are nailed, essentially. So it's nice to see some, something happening. So. And um, if you didn't know, Pfizer is the sixth most owned stock by members of Congress. So don't be, you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, someone caught me that. I should get a rapid test. Um, a little bit uh, under the weather over here.
from Studio 6B, Hour 2, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Glad you're in. Paul Nolan's here with the news. Rick Delgado's going to do, uh, well, he's just going to be funny. He's not doing anything tonight. And uh, Rick Amorati's going to do sports. Geo Fran holding it down, as always. On a Wednesday night, Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus Channel 1029. Um, they got anything to do with us saying Biden talked about Haiti and he's saying that Clinton's said, be careful, we're going to make $100 million off, of, off, off that place. It wasn't me. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> well, me. I love it. Back to Red State, which I did last week, uh, last um, segment. Let me just finish off what happened in the press pool. So, now comes word that the White House press pool was so furious on how this was handled and how they were treated they immediately marched into the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki's office, and lodged, lodged a formal complaint, according to White House Correspondents Association President Stephen Portnoy. From our friends at the Daily Wire, quote, the entire editorial component of the U.S. pool went immediately into Jen Psaki's office to register a formal complaint that no American reporters were recognized for questions in the president's Oval Office and that wranglers loudly shouted, over the president as he seemed to give it an answer to Ed O'Keefe's question about the situation at the southern border, the statement said. Biden's answers could not even be heard over the shouting. Saki was unaware that the incident had occurred and suggested that she was not in a position to offer an immediate solution, the statement says. Portnoy requested that Biden hold a formal press conference as a makeup for continuing to ignore reporters' questions which is a common occurrence from Biden. And Saki responded by claiming that Biden takes questions several times a week. Well, that's just, just a lie. Mm. What did they expect was going to happen, the author asked. This was the same guy who blew them off completely during the campaign, hid in the basement. Biden has now blown them off for days since last week without answering any real questions. The reporters never really appreciated how good they had it with President Donald Trump, who was always answering their questions. This guy hasn't answered a question in days even hiding out at the beach while there are major disasters and scandals blowing up all around him. Saki's response is indicative of the disdain the Biden people feel for the reporters. Basically, we can treat them like dirt and they'll take it. Coming back for more attitude. They know that reporters basically politically support them, so they don't fear any repercussions from any actions at all. What a thought. Maybe actually do your job and hold Biden to account. Report on the constant gaffes, incoherence, and total incompetence. Don't be treated like dirt and stand up for yourself. Ask why the Biden folks are doing this and what they don't want you to see. And G says that's a good setup for Crazy Town. And um, here it is. Roll it, G. <laughs> okay, today's announcement brings our total to over 1.1 vaccines donated to the world. Uh, to, uh, overall, one shots here, one for every shot we are delivering here, we are giving Good three shots, or we are committing three shots to the rest of the world. Uh, the United States and Europe will share doses globally to advance, advance uh, enhance vaccination rates and a uh, global uh, COVID-19 summit. Um, let's see. 
Uh, um, uh, uh, migrants coming from any country around the world are placed in either uh, expedited uh, in a form of removal proceedings. We're not uh, if there isn't like a flight English ready yet. Um, those are indivi those individuals may be pla placed in on the campaign trail. Candidate, now President Biden said we're going to restore our moral standing in the world and our historic role as a safe haven for refugees and asylum seekers. How does what's happening on the border right now with Haitian refugees square with that? Well, which aspect of what's happening at the border? What's happening with the Haitians? 90,000, more than 90,000 people were expelled in August. That was even before what we've seen in the in the uh, troubling photos under the bridge. We are applying uh, of what are um, what are border requirements and we are applying Title 42, which again is a health uh, a health application given we're in a global pandemic. Uh, we're, uh, we're in the uh, in a pivotal period. Uh, you know, there needs to be deeper engagement yeah. by the president. Uh, uh, and he sees his role as uh, uniting. What do you mean by an update exactly? I'm not sure I totally understand your question. Well, I, I, I just was trying to understand your question. The DHS chief is telling us that he doesn't know. So who else can we ask? You can certainly ask the Department of Homeland Security. Has President Biden ever been to the southern border? In his life? Yes. I will have to get look back in my history books and check the times he's been to the southern we border. We have been looking all morning, and we cannot find any record of him visiting the border as president, vice president, senator, or even as a concerned citizen. I think the situation at the border is the result of a broken system. France is furious at the U.S. There's frustration among allies about Afghanistan. What should Americans make of that? Acknowledging there can be closer coordination and consultation, I don't think is going to be the height of concern for most of the American people. And the on the second, on the concern. second piece, I would say. Uh, this is uh, a messy sausage-making process. Uh, he's rolling up his sleeves. He's welcoming them to the Oval Office. He'll have some COVID-safe snacks. Whatever may happen, uh, people should be encouraged by that. The president uh, trusts the leadership of Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer. Uh, but our objective is to keep pushing his agenda forward and keep making their lives better. I don't know that the um, the, the format, whether it is multiple shorter Q&As or a longer formal press conference, is at the top of the list of the American public's concern. We, we intend to raise the matters of concern to the public at those press conferences. As, as you have during 140 times you've asked the president questions. We're continuing to, to plan for an inaugural meeting of, uh, of, the, um, of the group uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, we certainly um, agree with the um, uh, the independence um, yeah. of the Federal Reserve and their right to make decisions it deems necessary on monetary policy. I think the president wants to play a role and uh, in talking and reminding people of uh, what we have in common, uh, how we can be united in making people's lives better in this country. It's very wonky, but it's impacted. We love wonky in here. Everyone's a nerd in here in some way. <laughs> I would say that, um, uh, so, um, um, uh, 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 um, <laughs> we'll do this again tomorrow. <laughs> wow. So you even see, um, yeah, you even see a little bit, right? Yeah, a little meow. Yeah. Saucer of milk, table for two. <laughs> Do we have? Can you go back to that little altercation there? I think that's um. Who's he from? I know. Uh, I think he. 
Um, I don't know if that's yeah. That may be him. That that may be Portnoy right there. From uh, is he from the post or where's he from? Is he related to that? Uh, that's Boston an interesting. Guy? Um, I don't think so. Or a longer formal press conference is at the top of the list of the American public's concern. We we intend to raise the matters of concern to the public at those press conferences. Thank as as you have during 140 times you've asked the president questions. Hmm. That's a little uh. Well, not there's Weird. no love lost there. Well, I mean, if you're if you're these people, if you're right there, if you're all of them, and then everybody else that we can't, if you're them, how are you not like? Remember in high school, you'd be like, <laughs> well, you got your mask on. Wouldn't you just yeah. be doing that the whole time? They can't see your lips. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> and you're just getting slapped around every day from her and from him, and just like the article pointed out. That uh, you got to start to feel like you're getting treated like, well, dirt. And again, knowing that the, you're mostly friendly to them. And now you're reaping what you sow. Because they, have, they, they just have no interest in what you want or what you care about at all. What you want to ask, what you don't want to ask. They're just going to do what the hell they want to do. Yeah, it rever- reverts back to like a high school thing. Well, I know you are, but what am I? I excuse you. That's basically what that turned into, a little, you know, tit for tat kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to raise it. Oh, well, go ahead, raise it. He did it 140 times already. So a couple other things from Biden and Johnson. Uh, cut 32, G. Here, this is... Now this, a pharmaceutical company? This, this, <laughs> this, um, vaccine. We love pharmaceutical companies. This has been... Um, Sounds de- like Hunter's Weekend with a f- weird friend. This has been debunked about a hundred <laughs> <laughs> times, but Joe felt the need. Well, he just felt the need still. Roll that. Um, I want to thank you again, Boris, for making the effort to be here. And I understand... Boris, uh, I just want you to know, Boris, you came down on Amtrak, is that right? I did, and, well, and, and you, are, you are a living deity. I am, Amtrak I've traveled millions of miles, you think I'm joking? They love you. Uh, well, they should, oh, I travel more on Amtrak, and I think I, if I were a conductor, I'd be number one in seniority. <laughs> uh, I gotta tell you a quick story, there's nothing to do with that. When I was vice president, the Secret Service didn't like me traveling on Amtrak because were too many options for people to cause trouble along the way but i insisted i do it and one day so brave I put in the newspaper biden travels one million i think don't hold me the exact number there's 350,000 oh, miles be. on air force <laughs> two and uh and so i walking up to the train on that friday <laughs> and a guy who was the number three guy from New Jersey on seniority as a conductor walked up and grabbed me and he goes like this, Joey baby, grab oh, my yeah, right. baby. <laughs> Everybody does that to him? And I said, no, no, he's a friend. He said, Joey, big deal. A million, 300,000 miles on Amtrak, I mean on, uh, on Air Force Two. You know how many miles you traveled on Amtrak? And I said, no, he said, with the retirement dinner, we worked it out. He said, 36 years in the Senate, X number of years as vice, at that point as vice president. I thought this was a quick story. Average 131 yeah. days a year, 257 miles a day. Joe, you travel over 2 million miles. Big deal. <laughs> I thought they should name the railroad after me or something. They, but anyway. They, they, they made the station off. That's yeah, nice. they, 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 it's big news. Anyway. 
Yeah, that's a tale. That's not a story. When you make it up as you go, it's yeah, a tale. That's a tale. Oh, man. And he, tell, he continues to tell it, even though it's been debunked. By the way, how many people have you met in your life who did this? Demon made me. <laughs> not a one. How about you, Delgado? Ricky uh, Dave, what, how many times? Uh, I had my uncle, my uncle Vincenzo. Uh, he used to do this with the ear with me. Yeah, but that's gra- it. My dead grandma. That's it. That's about it. Okay. Slick Rick? I get it all the time. You know, there's always got to be one. See that? You know, well, he's adorable, so oh. I can see why it happens to him. But yeah, but he does. That doesn't cool happen stuff. to Biden. No, no. Everybody he talks about a story. Hey, came up to me and did over there this with the thing. <laughs> he's such a liar. <laughs> I can't take it. Yeah. Well. You just get the sense that Boris Johnson, is, it's kind of like when you go to the home to visit your grandparent, if you have a grandparent <laughs> in a home, and you sit there in their room in the chair next to them. And, and the whole time you're you, like, you, get you know, the you, sense you, that, you turn into your own 14-year-old daughter, you're like, oh my God, Grandpa Sabari. <laughs> <laughs> he has like no followers on TikTok. I got like 400. <laughs> you get the sense that Boris was... <laughs> Looking for the exit. <laughs> oh, God. Seventeen past the hour, live from Studio Six P on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Lots to do still. Another crazy town coming up. A little more news, but right now let's do a little more sports. And here with that's Rick Amarati, Slick Rick at Slick Rick Sports on Twitter. What's going on, pal? All right, Big D. Well, the 2022 uh, Hall of Fame NFL class uh, was uh, nominated today. Uh, we have uh, Ware and Mathis among the first-year eligibles for Pro Football Hall of Fame. The roster of nominees consists of 65 offensive players, 46 defensive players, and I believe it or not, 11 special teamers. <clears throat> AP report, 10 first-year eligible players, including defensive standouts Demarcus Ware and Rob. Robert Mathis and receivers Andre Johnson, Steve Smith, and Anquan Bolden are among 122 nominees for the 2022 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Other first-year eligibles are kick returner Devin Hester, the great Devin Hester, offensive lineman Jake Long, uh, Nick Mangold, defensive lineman Vince Wilfork, and defensive back Antonio Cromarty. The list will be reduced to 25 semifinalists in November and to 15 finalists in January before the selection committee discusses and chooses the class of 2022 that will be enshrined in next August in Canton, Ohio. So we'll look forward to that. I think DeMarcus Ware is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, swimming, Ledecky to serve as volunteer swim coach at University of Florida. This is Reuters' seven-time Olympic gold medalist. Katie Ledecky has decided to serve as a volunteer swim coach at the University of Florida, where she will also train for the 2024 Paris Olympics, the school said earlier today. The 24-year-old American will train with Florida head coach Anthony Nesty, who was an assistant for the Team USA at the Tokyo Olympics, where she won medals in both the 800 meters and 1500 meter freestyle. Ledecky competed, completed her degree 
degree at Stanford University this year, and after swimming in her third Olympic Games, wanted to be closer to home and family while training for the next phase of her swimming career. Ledecky is a 10-time Olympic medalist and 15-time world championship gold medalist. She has won more gold medals in individual events than any Team USA female athlete in any sport in history. So good for her, and uh, hey, the Gators have got a hell of a swimmer that's going to be working with them. And that's a wrap in sports big day. I'll have Major League Baseball scores and uh, a couple other good little stories uh, coming up a little bit later, and we'll talk more about some NHL vaccine issues. Okay, very good. Slick Rick, thanks. Um, Paul, you got some news here with Mr. Nolan? Yeah, from Just the News, former president and current globalist George W. Bush will hold a fundraiser next month for embattled <laughs> Wyoming GOP rep Liz Cheney, pitting him uh, pitting him against former President Trump <laughs> and his endorsed candidate to unseat her. Joke. Un- it's just pure comedy. Trump is waging an aggressive campaign against Cheney, whom he labeled a party traitor for, for reasons including her vote to impeach him uh, on January 6th in, uh, on the Capitol riot. Earlier this month, Trump threw his support behind Harriet Hegman uh, to take Cheney's seat. The event is scheduled for October 18th in Dallas. will be hosted by longtime Bush political advisor, Carl Rove. Just when you thought wow. it couldn't get crappier, Let's <laughs> bring so, out uh, Carl you know, Rove. Cheney's father, yeah. Dick Cheney, served two terms as, as vice president. And uh, you going to bring his whiteboard? Yeah, the, the, he was going to bring his waterboard and his pheasant hunting gear. <laughs> with, any, with any luck, he'll take his daughter out. No, I'm just oh, kidding. No. Oh, hey. Oh, no, oh, come on. Come on, just, Paul. No, I mean, what? I was hunting. What are you doing? That's what do you mean? Creepy. Wait, whoa, whoa. What you mean? mean? Take her I out meant like killer? on a date? No, I meant take, take her out, her out for dinner. pheasant hunting. Like yeah. on a date? What no, a, what I thought of... like they would go hunting together because they're buddies. I don't know what I'm saying. That's wrong. All right. All of a sudden, you guys all have morals. Please. Yes. All right. Well, don't look in this direction. All right. So I don't know. All right. Here we go. From the, from now, I'm going to give you stuff from the Gateway <laughs> Pundit. Uh, alien lands on White House front lawn with proof that now I'm only kidding. Um, uh, you don't cheat. Uh, you don't cheat and steal elections. Arizona Senator uh, Senate candidate Blake Masters argues for decertification if the Arizona audit shows extensive fraud. The 34-year-old chief operating officer at the investment firm Thiel Capital in native Arizona and launched a, his campaign for U.S. Senator um, from Arizona in July. Since the launch, Blake has appeared on several media, including Gateway Pundit and the War Room. And uh, that story stunk. Sorry, I was uh, quite unprepared. I didn't think I had time for two. Go on, get away from me. I'm quitting. Well, we have five minutes left in this segment, Paul. We have a clock there. uh, Rich Lowry has a piece. Come on. um, Called, Why Didn't Trump Have a Haitian Migrant Crisis? And we, we talked about this the other night. I think I said it on the show. You don't ever remember seeing scenes like this out of um, the Trump administration whatsoever. Nope. And well, why is that? Not Is it because it couldn't have happened? These people make this trek through God knows what, through the water there to get to, to get, why, why? Why didn't we see it under the Trump administration? We're seeing it self-inflicted wound now. Alejandro Mayorkas likes to say our border isn't open. This line rang particularly hollow on Monday when he said it in close proximity to a migrant camp where 20,000 people were coming and going freely across the Rio Grande and had to take tickets to wait to get formally apprehended by U.S. authorities. 
It's one thing to say the border isn't open. It's another to implement the policies and do the work to keep it under control. The Biden team tells the story that it is constantly undone by circumstances at the border. Seasonality creating a surge last spring. Climate change hurting agriculture in the Northern Triangle. The coup in Haiti. But there's a reason that the scene at the Del Rio Bridge happened on Biden's watch and not his predecessors. The Trump team was aware of the potential of a surge of Haitian migrants running out of control and made it a priority and kept it from happening. In general, the focus was on putting out even a small spark well before it became a full-fledged fire, explains a former administration official. And that's how it happened, that you never saw any one at a time. You never had a single situation in the entire pandemic where a facility was even at capacity, let alone over capacity. At the border, we hear a lot about two categories of migrants, Mexicans who can be returned home relatively easily, and other than Mexican who are much more difficult to return almost entirely because of our senseless rules. But there was another category that administration officials referred to as extracontinental countries, such as Haiti. Dealing with these migrants was tricky because they couldn't be returned to Mexico or a northern triangle country. Haitians don't naturally fit in culturally, uh, fit in culturally in these places. Mexico can be convinced to take Guatemalans and Guatemala can be convinced to take El Salvadorians, but Haitians are a different story. They don't speak Spanish, rather Haitian Creole or French, and the Spanish-speaking countries worry about assimilating them. It's amazing. They, they worry about that. <laughs> we don't worry about it here, most, most of us. Uh, Mexico doesn't take Chinese deportees uh, to choose a very obvious example, but there's no legal reason why they couldn't, says a former administration official. They just don't. And so when you're trying to find solutions for Haitian immigrants— The only available option is really to send them back to Haiti. Given the truly awful conditions in Haiti and the fact that tens of thousands of Haitians had already left home for countries in South America, this administration, uh, the, the administration recognized, I believe he's still talking about the Trump administration, that there was an enormous pent up demand to come to the United States. And once a flow got started, it could be hard to keep control of. One of the lessons of the border crisis of 2019 was that if people are getting through, they spread the word to other would-be migrants, and it creates an incentive for more migrants to try to come. The number of migrants successfully getting into the U.S. doesn't have to be high for this dynamic to take hold. I don't have time to play for you. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas today asked about the percentage of people who are in this country Oh, it's only 20 seconds? Okay. So let's hear from the, from the uh, secretary right now. Roll that, Jay. From the uh, Mayorkas. Um, of the over uh, 60,000 individuals who've, brought, who've been brought into the United States, and I will give you approximate figures and I will verify them, approximately 7% have been United States citizens. Approximately 6% um, have been lawful permanent residents. Approximately 3% have been individuals who are... Um, in receipt of their special immigrant visas. 3%. Mm. Let's go over those numbers when we get back.
minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. So let's, I want to hear the Mayorkas clip again, G, and I want to go through what he, what he's actually saying. So play that same clip uh, one more time. Asked about um, the Haitian immigrants down in Texas and, and what's going on with SIVs and who's coming into the country and who's not. Roll that one more time. Go ahead. Before I roll it, I just want to clarify. I must, I must have misunderstood. I believe this clip is talking about the Afghan uh, refugees, not the Haitians. Okay. Um, of the over uh, 60,000 individuals who've, brought, who've been brought into the United States, and I will give you approximate figures and I will verify them, approximately 7% have been United States citizens, approximately 6% um, have been lawful permanent residents, approximately 3% have been individuals who are um, in receipt of their special immigrant visas. So 60,000 Afghans have come in, 3% with the SIV program. I believe there's been another 10,000 Haitian refugees that have been allowed in since this disaster started at the border. So you're talking about 70,000 in under a month? We heard it in the crazy town, but Ducey was pressing Saki for numbers because the DHS chief wouldn't give the numbers on the Haitians. And she responded by saying, well, you should ask the DHS, which they already did. Right. So you extrapolate those numbers out over 30, 60 days. You're, you're, we're letting in small cities into the country every 30 days. I mean, not every place around is, you know, New York City, where 8 million people are. I mean, we're, it, it's the numbers are, I mean, who, who can withstand that over a long period of time when you're already letting in legal immigrants about a million, million and a half a year? Biden's raising the ceiling on, on um, Afghan refugees, I believe, to 125,000. I think Trump had it at 15,000. Mm-hmm. So almost a tenfold increase. So, I mean, it's just, do you have that clip of, of Saki and Ducey from today? Yeah. I roll that. You're telling us that the DHS chief has the most recent numbers about how many of these Haitians under the bridge have been sent back and how many have been released into the U.S. The DHS chief is telling us that he doesn't know. So who else can we ask? You can certainly ask the Department of Homeland Security. I am confident, Peter. I am confident he wanted to have the most up-to-date numbers, and we will venture to get you those, I promise you, this afternoon. Is this an issue of not knowing, or is this an issue of a lot more people are being released into the U.S. than are being sent out? That is certainly not the issue. First, I think it's important to reiterate what I conveyed earlier about uh, what the actual process is. Uh, individuals are expelled under Title 42. If they can't be expelled under Title 42, they are put into a removal process. If they are put into a removal process, they're either transported to an ICE facility or released with a legal document. That legal document includes fingerprints, photos, phone numbers, an address in the United States, and a background check. That's the process that transpires. That's a part of our immigration process, regardless of where you're coming from. And just because you keep using Title 42, 
to defend this administration's immigration policies. That is a Trump era regulation. You guys came in saying that the Trump era immigration policy was very inhumane. Title 42 is not an immigration policy. It is a it is a health authority because we're in the middle of a pandemic. The Trump administration approach to immigration was inhumane and was immoral. That's why we need to put a new policy in place and we need Congress to pass that policy. Unified control, democratic control of Congress. Many months in office, you have not even tried. That's not actually true. Well, There's been a, Peter, just to, just factual here. There's okay. been, there's just been a bill factual. proposed, first day in office. Currently it was proposed as a part of, steps were proposed as part of the reconciliation process. Right, the parliamentarian rejected that proposal. They're going back and proposing new options. President supports that. He would like to see immigration reform passed into law, more humane processes. Well, I mean, you know, Peter Ducey's trying the best he can. But she's good I mean, she, she's just, she, I mean, she just has no answers. And, um, you know, her deflection mode is becoming worse and worse to try to just deflect it off to, uh, other people, other things. Let's have we'll have uh, we'll have playtime later, so we can get get back with you. I mean, because she has no real she has with no COVID answers. safe snacks. Yeah, she has no <laughs> real answers to any real questions, and she doesn't get a lot of them. But when she does, mostly from him, she has no response. And did you hear what they get released with? Uh, you know, the the last option, the last thing she mentioned was they get released with a document. Uh, they go through a background check, really a background check of people that uh, probably don't have a background that you can. How do you check their background? Explain that one to us. Well, we should be able to check at least which Afghanis worked with us when we were when we were there, because we should be allowing them in. You know, if they stood with us and uh, on, on, on however that is, whether it was interpreters or whether it was. Uh, fighting on the battlefield and whether it's them and their family i mean we sh we should be able to at least get to that yeah but that's a small percentage well you yeah heard, you heard the number it's a small it's in the single digits that means i think what was it seven six and three so what is that 16 percent. that's the number 16 percent. the rest um probably don't have any background you can check so that's 84 percent of the other people which is a much larger number, eh, we're just going to give them a desk appearance ticket. You come back, we're going to take your fingerprints, don't worry about it. We got you. Yeah, okay. We'll see you never. Well, that's the thing. We talked about it yesterday. So, so to finish that. off this piece in National Review, um, why Trump didn't have a Haitian migrant crisis, Rich Lowry says, the Trump team focused on stopping the surge before it happened. During the beginning of the pandemic, right around the time of implementation of Title 42, which she loves to lean on, the public health measure used to expel migrants, the White House began leading a morning call among administration officials to monitor the number of migrants coming from various places and make sure that they were removed from the United States expeditiously. They didn't want overcrowding at any border facility for public health reasons, among many others. And they didn't want any backups that would potentially overtop the system somewhere and encourage more people to come. Now, Jen Psaki may think that's inhumane, but I think that's trying to recognize our own country's sovereignty and trying to uh, protect it and look out for the citizens of the country, especially those who live in the region. With most migrants, there might be a few options of where they could be returned. With Haitian migrants, there was only one. That's back to Haiti. This meant constant negotiations with the Haitian government, 
sometimes over each flight and how many people would be on it. The former Trump administration official recalls at this point in time in particular, Haiti was being really difficult about flights. Haitian officials might balk at approving a flight manifest or try to negotiate down the number of people on a flight. I was personally on phone calls on a regular basis where the Department of State was on those phone calls and they were heavily engaged with the Haitian government on an ongoing basis. ICE and CBP provided data and information, but it was really the diplomatic pressure that the Trump administration was able to put on Haiti that they were going to accept their own citizens who illegally entered the United States. One of the other important pieces was cooperation from Mexico. Todd Bensman of the Center for Immigration Study reported the Haitian migrants have told them that while they were waiting for papers in Mexico, suddenly Mexican officials told them they could proceed north. Certainly, if Mexico hadn't allowed the migrants to move through its territory, Del Rio never would have happened. Trump was willing to use sticks and not just carrots to ensure cooperation from Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries. So the difference in the two is just astounding like many things. And that's the difference between the two administrations, their policies, and how they've treated this and, and what the outcome has been. And by the way, it's the same thing in the difference in, in policies domestically. Uh, just to go back to what I, because uh, I thought of this when he was speaking today, and it just made me think of it as we're outlining the difference between the Trump and the Biden administrations, so many things. But as I listened to Chairman Powell today, he said, you know, um, before the pandemic, we had the lowest um, unemployment numbers among classes of uh, citizens that we've never seen before, he said. Um, African-Americans. And he went down the list of unemployment numbers amongst uh, people in this country, wages rising among people in this country. And he said, you know, that economy was something we'd like to get back to. And I, I, ha- I have to tell you, that's the one part of the speech that stood out to me. And of course, he didn't mention Trump's name. And you can go back and hear this for yourself today as he spoke after they put out their non-tapering announcement that they weren't going to taper this month, next month. I mean, it, it almost sounded like a ringing endorsement of Trump's policies as far as economically and uh, in this country and what it, what it provided and what the country looked like as far as employment, who was employed, real wage growth, wages, take-home pay, taxes, and how people were doing. And of course, now we have, um, well, just the total opposite. We have a party that wants to put our taxes that would be on pace with, well, China. <coughs> Sorry. About. Any other clips of Ducey today? Because there was another moment where she had story time with him. I can't see the clips, she, because <laughs> I can't get to time. the thing. Yeah, let me, let's hear this one. Roll that. Has President Biden ever been to the southern border? In his life? Yes. I will have to get look back in my history books and check the we, times he's been to the southern border. We have been looking all morning, and we cannot find any record of him visiting the border as president, vice president, senator, or even as a concerned citizen. Why now listen to this. I can check and see when the last time or when he the, may have been. Look, but, but tell me more about why you're asking. Because because stop, 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 st
If the president of the United States has ever been to the border, whether it's as president, eight years as vice president, 36 (laughs) years as a senator, who knows what before that? Truck driver, trained, uh, yeah, weightlifter. <laughs> he, he was a baseball player. He, oh, yeah. he hit one over the wall. You know, feet. He, he, a million miles on Amtrak. How would he have time to do any of this stuff? Right. Smoke jumper. Tell me why you're. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Tell me why you're asking. It's none of your business, sir. Like, are you serious with that? Go ahead, G point when there are disasters in this country like a wildfire or a hurricane to go and see for himself firsthand what the needs are of the local community so that he can have an informed POV to make policy. Why doesn't he do that? Uh, Why doesn't he go down to Del Rio, Texas and see what's going on? Well, first of all, Peter, I think the situation at the border is the result of a broken system. And the president certainly relies on his experience. So whether it was the work he did to address root causes as vice president, his efforts when he was in the Senate to support comprehensive immigration reform, steps that at a time were being done and worked toward in a bipartisan way, something that uh, certainly we think should be the the case today. He uses all of his experiences to inform how he governs. (laughs) God, get out of here. (laughs) I'm so sick of her. We'll wrap it up a little more sports when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Been a good show. Another crazy town coming up here in a second. Right after we do sports with Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? All right. One more sweep of Major League Baseball tonight. Scores. Nationals right now 7-4 over the Marlins. That's in the bottom of the ninth. Orioles trail the Phillies 4-2. Top eight. Rangers and Yankees in a good one. Bottom of the seventh. Tied at three. The Red Sox are bombing the Mets in Fenway 11-2. That's the top of the sixth. Twins over the Cubs 4-2. Cardinals bombing the Brewers 8-1. Both games are in the middle of the seventh. The Dodgers are over the Rockies 3-1, bottom of the fourth. Astros and Angels 0-0 just underway. Must be some bad weather out there in the uh, Michigan-Ohio border as Pirates, Reds, Tigers, White Sox, and Royals Indians are all postponed. Looks like some rain in there. Giants at the Padres. That's a 10 o'clock first pitch. And the Braves and Diamondbacks 0-0, top of the first inning. Tyler Batuzzi declines vaccine, won't travel to Canada with the Red Wings. And NHL uh, camps have all opened up as of today, and uh, a lot of these teams are already jockeying for vaccine. A lot of these teams are claiming to be 95% vaccinated, but a lot of the star players, well, they didn't take the vax. So September uh, uh, 22nd today, uh, we had a, by Gavin Lee of Pro Hockey Rumors, this report came out, the Detroit Red Wings expect to be shorthanded when they travel to Montreal to battle the Canadians on October 23rd. GM Steve Eisenman explained that Tyler Patuzzi, the Red Wings' third highest paid forward, has declined the COVID-19 vaccine, and the team anticipates he will 
not travel with the club to Canada this season. The issue with Canada is you got to be vaccinated if you want to cross the border. This is going to create a lot of problem with the NHL this year, and I can see this developing into a major issue when teams have to go over the border and visit. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that big D, but not looking good. This guy's going to cost them $170,000. Uh, he's going to miss eight game days, and uh, again, not a good situation. Uh, European Ryder Cup team trolls U.S. with Packers, Colors, and Cheeseheads. This is uh, Mark Canazaro of the New York Post earlier today. Haven, Wisconsin, the 43rd Ryder Cup doesn't begin play until Friday morning, and already the European team is on the offensive, the charm offensive. In a positively brilliant bit of strategy on the part of Team Europe, its players on Wednesday were clad in the green, yellow, and white colors of Green Bay Packers, who, of course, are beloved in these parts. The European players, too, showed up at the first tee for practice rounds wearing cheese heads and tossed them into the stands to the fans, Big D. I saw your buddy there, uh, good old uh, Mr. Uh, you know, uh, Bryson Rory. Who's, your, who's your favorite guy? Rory. Rory. Rory McElroy. Yes, thank you. And he was out there with his cheese head, and uh, they said they're going to play a good game. They're going to take on the U.S. I'm really hoping the U.S. kicks their butts. I can't wait to watch well, that. Well, I am too. It's the best weekend of golf every two years. It only happens, but uh, it has not happened recently. Yeah. But so, uh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll have a re- full report on Monday, also a report on Friday night with the first round. So uh, it- it's nice to think uh, the colors turned out nice. We think the outfit looks really good, and we think the players are pretty stoked that they're doing something to show respect for the local state. So they're just trying to kiss up to the Americans, but they're going to be rooting their guys on. And supposedly uh, Kepka and DeChambeau sat down and had a little dinner this week, and uh, they're getting along just fine. And there may be one of those, uh, you know, Brady, Kepka, DeChambeau, Rogers golf tournaments on the come. So. We'll keep an eye on that well, as well. Well, I mean, uh, Kepka angered Paul Azinger so much during this last couple of weeks talking about how the Ryder Cup is this and the Ryder Cup is that. And he acted like he didn't, it was too much of a hassle for him to play. Azinger thought he should be thrown off the team. So, I mean, um, I mean, we need Brooksy to be in there. Oh, yeah. Big time. And we need him to play well. Yes. We need them all to play well. So Absolutely. I'll be rooting big time. Yeah, me too. I'll be watching that one closely. So, and that's a wrap in sports. Big D, back to you. All right, very good. Uh, crazy Town, Biden rallies a virtual COVID summit to defeat COVID. Roll it, G. Okay, Joe. As I said yesterday at the United Nations, <laughs> nothing is more urgent than all of us working together to defeat COVID-19. And that, uh, that world is going to be much better prepared for future pandemics. We have to do both. And we, we're not going to solve this crisis with half measures no. or middle-of-the-road ambitions. No. We need to go big. Yeah. And I made and I'm keeping the promise that America will become the arsenal of vaccines. Oh. as we're the arsenal for democracy during World War II. And while vaccinating the world is the ultimate solution to COVID-19, we know that we have to act to save lives now. Oh. And we're going to help all of us build back better <laughs> by supporting the establishment of a financial mechanism for global health security. Sure. To simply state it, to prepare for the next pandemic, because there will be a next time. We all know that. Oh, yeah. And let me close by, with what I uh, made clear yesterday at the U.S. Good. We can do this. This is within our capacity. We know what needs to be done. Sure. We just have to make the choice to do it. That oh. is a big, big goal I have, we have. We should have. We're going to lead with the power Possibly. of our example. Right. And we're not going to stop. 
Not the I want to thank everybody on the screen I can see <laughs> here without going to each one of you what for all you've done, continue what? to do. And I think you all know we, we can do this. Uh -huh. We can do this. Uh -huh. We have to do this. Yeah. the set of days of our lives there what is <laughs> it looks like it looks like a set of romper room like yeah, two big blocks they're sitting at the blocks like woo! can't wait for snack time this is where uh COVID safe what snacks. the heck is going on yeah they uh, this is i wonder if that's anything i think that's a big green screen there g what do you think that is or you think that's a real room they built out looks like possibly a real room right i mean they've got so many uh. big empty rooms in the white house <laughs> Like like in between his Plus, ears. Plus, their team couldn't work a green screen. I don't think. Yeah, It'd I be... like the I like the shot of directly on him, the fake window grass behind yeah. him. That's that's yeah, gotta that's a be because nice uh... that, gra that grass yeah, that's looks nice. Just... Oh yeah, that's probably with fake. the etched uh, thing in the window there, <laughs> the presidential seal etched in the window. Oh. With the... I mean, all I know is if there's footage out there of Biden on a green screen, I have to get my hands on. <laughs> that looks see, like a courtyard from a Marriott. Yeah, you see, you see the getaway car up in the back corner there in the right upper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. It almost looks like, you know what? It, it almost looks like an old yeah. school building. You know, like there would be a room. car be allowed that, that close to where he's speaking at the window. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It looks like what? It, it looks like an old school schoolhouse room or something. Yeah. Schoolhouse rock. Yeah. Biden rocks. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to tell us about a bill now. <laughs> hey, Joey, let me tell you about a bill. Mm. Hey, I know we've been running the, uh, the slate, but let me remind you before we wrap tonight here that uh, Save America Rally, there it is, thanks, G, live coverage, uh, Saturday, 5 p.m. from Perry, Georgia. The president will be, uh, President Trump will be speaking, another rally. You know, these rallies, you never know what you're going to hear from the president. You never know. You may uh, make some announcements, yeah. or you may you just never know what you're going to get. The closer we get to, uh, I hope he waits for after the, I, I really hope he waits after the midterms if he's going to run. Oh, yeah, I think it's way too early to announce now. I just, um, I think I think you run out of just, you just, I agree. people just get tired. All right, all right we know. Because we know that if there's one thing that can unite the Democrats, even as they're falling apart, is their hatred for him. And that would be a galvanizing uh, call to forget everything that's a disaster right now and just bring the focus right back to get Trump, which is what it would be. But I just hope that they, again, Republicans got to get in the game here, take the handoff from this golden egg that Biden continues to hand them every day, point out the differences, and then let's time all this stuff right. I just think it's interesting he's doing it in Georgia. Why is that? Because of the election the, stuff. The election stuff, um, but also, you know, I think that's also uh, to give uh, Herschel another little push. You know, he's going to have him have him oh, out there. Yeah, Georgia, sure. Well, Herschel's got to win that going away, doesn't yeah. he? Better. I mean, I mean, come on, come on. Between that, between him and then Vernon Jones well, as well. That's the race we need to be interested in. Is the one for we got to get as many governorships as possible. Yeah. So between yeah. between the State Senate seat for Herschel yeah. and Vernon Jones, and then of course the election stuff, and then on on Friday there's supposed to be a, a major announcement for Maricopa County election. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pike. We'll see what happens. So the president on Saturday, right here on Real America's Voice, will be covering it soup to nuts, end to end, as we always do. Uh, that Saturday, I guess, starting at five. So we'll have it locked in here. <laughs> 
All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines protecting us. Thanks to everybody on this show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to Real America's Voice, as always, for the opportunity. Most of all, thank you, the Live from Studio 6B audience. We'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. right here at Real America's Voice. See you then.